Hello, Sabbath school leaders and teachers. This is Pastor Matt Parra. I get the privilege of walking through Daniel chapter 10 with you this week. This is our Sabbath school commentary series, and we're just about to the end of the quarterly lesson on the book of Daniel. And this week's lesson focuses on the 21 verses in Daniel chapter 10. It's pretty powerful, and I just want to have a word of prayer before we get into the study of God's Word. Father in heaven, please guide us. Open our hearts and minds so that we, like Daniel, can see you as you are. Please touch us the way that you touched him and open our our minds to the great prophecies of the Bible. Help us, like Daniel, to find ourselves in the light and scope of Bible prophecy so that our faith can be increased and so that we can stand in our time, as Daniel stood in his, in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. So let's just jump right into Daniel chapter 10 and verse 1. In the third year of Cyrus, king of Persia, a message was revealed to Daniel, who was named Belshazzar. And the message was true and one of great conflict. But he understood the message and had an understanding of the vision. In those days, I, Daniel, had been mourning for three entire weeks, I did not eat any tasty food, nor did meat or wine enter my mouth, nor did I use any ointment at all until the entire three weeks were completed. We see here, as we see in other parts of the book of Daniel, that Daniel the prophet was a man of devotion. He was totally devoted to the God of creation. In Daniel chapter 6, he's so committed to praying three times a day, that when he hears that there's a death decree for praying to or appealing to any other god or king other than the king of Persia, he still prays. This communicates that to Daniel, praying was of such importance that it was worth risking his life for. He saw that the time in which he lived necessitated that he pray. And and so prayer was so important to him. Connecting with God was so important to him that even if there was a decree against it, that could mean you die and be killed. He kept praying. In Daniel chapter 9, the chapter that we just studied last week, you see one of the most beautiful and powerful prayers in all of scripture being delivered to God by Daniel. In Daniel chapter 9, at the beginning of the chapter, Daniel says that he discovered where he was in the light of Bible prophecy because he was studying the book of Jeremiah. So you see in Daniel 9, a man of sincere devotion, of real devotion to God. And even though he was a prophet and received visions from God, he received prophecies that extended from his time to the end of time. He still had personal devotions where he studied the Bible for himself. That's powerful and it's a good lesson for for us even if you got visions from God and prophecies delivered to you from God to communicate to the world we should still be people who devote time and energy to prayer and to Bible study knowing that without Jesus we can do nothing we can be Christians Christ followers for a long time very knowledgeable Seventh-day Adventists we may have you know years of study 
under our belts, but we should still maintain our commitment to God and our connection to God. The Bible says in Colossians chapter 2 in verse 6, As you have therefore received Christ Jesus, so walk in him. In other words, as you develop in your walk, as you grow in grace and in the knowledge of the Lord Jesus Christ, don't become of the mindset that you no longer need to depend on God. We should be like children in that. We always depend upon our Heavenly Father and always look to Him for guidance and instruction. He's God. We're people. We're flawed and frail and prone to making mistakes. And we should be people of devotion like Daniel. The prophecies in the book of Daniel teach us what's going to happen at the end of time. And the narratives, the stories, and the behavior of Daniel himself teaches us how we're supposed to behave at the end of time. And so Daniel was a man of deep devotion. He was radically committed to his personal relationship with God, and nothing stood in the way of that. And here we see he's praying, he's fasting, and it's for 21 days straight. I read a book once called Thoughts on Daniel and Revelation by an Adventist church pioneer named Uriah Smith, and he made a really powerful point about Revelation chapter 5, where there's a vision that John sees of a little book that's sealed with seven seals and no one can open the seals. And so he weeps bitterly. And then it's seen that a lamb is found who can release the scroll from its seals. And Uriah Smith makes the point that the book of Revelation and the other prophetic books in the Bible were not written without tears, nor will they be understood without tears. I think it's the people who, like Daniel, are deeply devoted to God, who are totally dependent upon God in all circumstances that will get light from God to live the life that God wants them to live in these last days. Point number one that I want to share with you this week and that I think we should all reflect upon this week and share amongst our Sabbath school class members is that Daniel was a man of total commitment to God and deep devotion, and he prays for an entire three weeks. He pushes good food away. He decides that he's going to wear raggedy or unkempt clothing and not bathe himself properly because he's so focused on, on praying to God. And the lesson brings out that he may have been praying about the return of some of the Israelites to Palestine, uh, but we can't be a hundred percent sure, but it's likely that this was the case. Now, I want to make mention of the fact that later in Daniel chapter 10, an angel that comes, and a heavenly being that comes and communicates with Daniel, says to him that in the first day of his praying or his supplicating to God, he was sent and would have arrived the first day Daniel was praying to God to reveal to him this message that he's going to reveal in Daniel 11, but he was opposed by the prince of Persia, and he was hindered and couldn't come. And you see in the Bible an example of a heavenly intelligence being obstructed by a mortal human prince of Persia, which communicates very clearly that God honors and respects free will. And in the context of the great controversy, God is not violating people's free will, and he's functioning similarly to how a being who is in space and time has to function. And so he sends a message to the prophet Daniel 
through a heavenly messenger that also has the assignment of, of doing some work on the heart of the prince of Persia or the king of Persia. And he's resisted and therefore is delayed from arriving to Daniel. But Daniel persists in prayer and persists in his fast and the angel shows up on the 21st day. So think with me about persistence and about unconditionally committing yourself to finding God's will and finding God's blessing. It's like Jacob who wrestles with the angel all night long and he will not let go of the angel until the angel blesses him. Daniel has that disposition of Jacob where he's wrestling with God, he's agonizing with God, he's pouring out his heart to God, he's reaching out to God in all sincerity. And it's not for one day or two days or three days, it's 21 days. Now, that could be discouraging. Imagine if Daniel, and he's, he's, he's praying and praying and praying, and day 10, he thinks, you know, I've not been blessed. I've not been given the peace that passes understanding. God has not addressed me on any emotional, spiritual, or mental level. And so, you know what? I'm done. I'm done. Well, perhaps. Now, this is just this is just speculation of Matt Parra. But had he gotten discouraged and, and weary of well-doing, maybe maybe the angel doesn't come. Maybe he doesn't see the vision that he sees in Daniel 10 of 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 the of Christ. And this is a lesson, and, and it reminds me of Jesus' lesson of Luke 18, verses I think 1 through 8, where he tells the parable of the woman who appeals to the judge. And the Bible says in Luke 18 and verse 1 that Jesus tells this parable so that men would pray and not faint. And he gives the parable of the unjust judge who is pestered by a woman and gets so annoyed with this woman and he's just so tired of her bothering him that he basically just grants her what she wants so that she'll stop pestering him. And Jesus says that this judge did not regard God or man and he was unjust. And even though he was unjust because this woman was persistent, the judge responded and and gave her what she wanted and, and what she was requesting. And then Jesus kind of uses this unjust judge not to communicate who God is, but to say that even unjust judges hear their people eventually. And God, who is your father in heaven and who loves you in a profound and amazing way, for sure he'll answer you. For sure he has the intention of of hearing you. He does hear you and he, he does want to answer and he does want to bless you. And there may be some externalities and other factors that are delaying an answer. And there's a bigger picture that God is managing and working with. And, and he's going to answer you in due time. And he's going to come through. You just have to persist and continue in seeking God's will for your life and seeking God's blessing for your life. And I think we need a little bit more of that in our experience as Christ followers and as Seventh-day Adventists. I think we have to just make that unconditional commitment to be blessed by God and have this mindset that if we're not blessed, we have nothing and we're lost and we're without guidance and help in the world. And uh, and that's not an acceptable option for us. And so even if it takes 21 days, we'll keep seeking. And I think that the Bible promise of Matthew chapter 7 and verse 7 is true. It says, ask and it will be given you. Seek and you will find. Knock and it will be opened unto you. It doesn't say, seek and you will find immediately. 
or ask and it will be given to you as soon as you wish or knock and it will be opened to you right this second. No, if we seek God, we will find him if we seek for him and search for him with all of our hearts. And to search and to seek with all of your heart means you don't, you don't quit. It's, it's with all of yourself and, and you just throw yourself into the hands of God unreservedly. I think this is what God requires of us. And I think when we position ourselves in relationship to God the way that Daniel did, we're now open to catch a glimpse of heaven the way that Daniel did. And let's consider this truth and apply this to our lives and circumstances and be more devotional as, as Daniel was. So now let's pick up here in verse 4. It says, On the 24th day of the first month, while I was by the bank of the great river, that is the Tigris, I lifted my eyes and looked, and behold, there was a certain man dressed in linen, whose waist was girded with a belt of pure gold, of uphaz. His body was like beryl. His face had the appearance of lightning. His eyes were like flaming torches. His arms and feet like the gleam of polished bronze, and the sound of his words like the sound of a tumult. He seeing the Son of God. Now I, Daniel, alone saw the vision, while the men who were with me did not see the vision. Nevertheless, great dread fell on them, and they ran away to hide themselves. So I was left alone and saw this great vision, yet no strength was left in me, for my splendor was turned inside of myself into corruption and I retained no strength, but I heard the sound of his words. And as soon as I heard the sound of his words, I fell into a deep sleep on my face with my face to the ground. He was knocked out by the presence of God. He is overwhelmed and overpowered when he sees Jesus Christ manifest in front of him. And the Bible says his, his splendor or the older versions say, my comeliness was turned within me into corruption. So the light of God is shined before this man and he sees the righteous one, the holy one, the infinite one. And it, it just overpowering and he, he feels all of his internal corruption and falls to the floor and, and goes to sleep. <sighs> it's interesting to me that the men that were with Daniel felt great dread and they ran away. I think that that was an instinctual reaction to being in the presence of holiness. It was terrifying to them and it wasn't terrifying because God is someone that should be feared as a person. We pray, our Father which art in heaven. God is the archetypal Father and all of the love and care that we fathers, we earthly fathers feel for our children, it's, it's a reflection, a mere reflection of the love and care that the Father God has for his creatures, his, his creation. And he makes us fathers and mothers, fathers and mothers, so that we can understand to an extent his paternal affection. And so surely these men who had great dread falling upon them, who were running away from God, were not men who God hated. They were his children whom he loved and wanted to redeem and bless and bring into his eternal kingdom. So, so, so why would they have this instinctual reaction to run away from him? And it's because sin separates from God. It's because sin corrupts us and it, it, it 
it makes us afraid of of God and the presence of God. And and you know the Bible says in, in Isaiah chapter five and verse twenty it says, "Woe unto them who call good evil and evil good, who put darkness for light and light for darkness, sin and selfishness and Satan turn us into people who think that good is bad and bad is good, and that light is darkness and darkness is light." It it inverts. Sin inverts reality. And because it inverts reality, you have the eternal God of the universe, the word that was eventually going to be made flesh to redeem the fallen race because of God's unfathomable love for and commitment to the human race. And they're, they're running away from him. They're scared out of their wits. Now, coming to a recognition of your condition before a holy God is a terrifying thing. And it's something that most people run away from. And I think it's something that we as Christ followers should never run away from. Sometimes the presence of God does not make us feel good. It makes us feel bad. And it doesn't make us feel bad because God is bad. It makes us feel good. It makes us feel bad because God is good. He's so good. He's so wonderful that it magnifies in us a sense of our unworthiness, a sense of our unholiness. And you remember there the statement from the book Steps to Christ where Ellen White says that the closer we come to Christ, the more faulty we will appear in our own eyes. And, and we don't feel better in ourselves the closer we grow to God. We feel better in God because of his matchless love and his, his grace and his mercy. And the fact that he loves us in spite of our fallenness and our darkness of heart, you know. Let's, let's keep that in mind. We oftentimes think that the response of being in God's presence is, is the response of laughing or, or kind of shallow joy. But oftentimes it's you fall to your face and all that you thought was good in you turns into corruption inside of you. And it's funny because when you think about this, this is Daniel the prophet. This guy is the messenger of the Lord. God so highly regards this man that he comes to him and gives him personal messages to deliver to you and to me. This is the kind of, of man that this is. This is the stature that he has in God and in the kingdom of heaven. And in this chapter and in other places, the angels who address Daniel, they say, you're highly regarded in heaven. So in other words, in the circles, in the social circles of the angels in the unfallen worlds, when the name of Daniel is mentioned, people say, yeah, he's special. He's one of us. He's down there in the dark, but he's one of us. He's highly regarded, not on earth, but he's highly regarded in heaven. This is the kind of person Daniel is, but in the presence of Jesus, in, in the presence of the manifest glory of God in the person of the Son of God, he says, all of my comeliness was turned in, into corruption or, or, or I saw myself as I really am in the light of God's goodness and glory. And I, I saw how fallen and twisted and impure and foul and odious that I am. Yet that doesn't make me despair. That makes me hope because God still loves me and he still cares for me. And so, yeah, well, it's a powerful thought. I want you guys to consider the fact, and if possible, you know, this might be worthy to consider with your church family. Coming close to God doesn't always feel good. Sometimes it feels bad. And we should embrace the kind of ominous, dark, cloudy feelings that can come from the conviction of the power of the Holy Spirit through giving us testimony of Jesus and revealing Jesus to us. I think sometimes the reason why we don't see God more in our lives is because we are comfort seekers and the Holy Spirit will lay heavy burdens upon us and we will see our badness in the light of God's goodness. And that can bring us to repentance if we will embrace it 
and accept it. But if we only think that God is the dispenser of good feelings and good vibes and positive emotions, well, then we'll run away from the conviction of the Holy Ghost and we'll run away from Jesus and we'll turn darkness for light and light for darkness and evil for good and good for evil. And the Bible will say, whoa, like woe on you. And in a way, we'll be preparing ourselves to commit the unpardonable sin, which is just calling what God is doing what the devil is doing. And um, let's just not be addicted to good feelings all the time because God wants to work with us through through our mess, you know. Blessed are the poor in spirit. Blessed are those who can acknowledge their spiritual poverty in God's presence and repent and uh, and hang on to the cloak of Jesus, even though we've been bleeding for 13 years and no one can help us, you know. So I hope that message is, is, is clear because I think it's really, really powerful. We find ourselves now here in verse 10 and we read together. It says, Then behold, a hand touched me and set me trembling on my hands and knees. Now, this is the first of three times that Daniel is touched in Daniel chapter 10. Gabriel also touches him in uh, Daniel chapter 8 as well because he's so overwhelmed at the presence of a heavenly being. And uh, as I just said, this is the first of third times, that three times that Daniel is touched. And the first time, as the lesson study brings out, the first time he's touched, it, it gives him the ability to stand. So he's fallen down at the presence of God, at the presence of Jesus Christ. And then now he's touched by heavenly being, and it gives him the strength to stand up. The second time in the chapter he's touched, it gives him the ability to speak. He falls to the ground when he sees the vision of the shining Christ. And he can't speak. He's unconscious. Then he's touched by a a heavenly being. And now he can stand up. But but he's just trembling. Like he's physically shaking because he's so overwhelmed at seeing what he's seen. It's, It's just... It's breaking him down psychologically and emotionally to see God. And, and so he's just standing there trembling and he can stand on his feet, but he can't speak. But then he's touched a second time and then he's given the ability to speak. And then the third time he's touched, he's given the ability to actually hear what the messenger of God was sent to him to hear. The, the prophecy of Daniel chapter 11. Verse 11 here says, He said to me, O Daniel, man of high esteem, understand the words that I am about to tell you and stand upright. For I have now been sent to you. And when he had spoke this word, spoken this word to me, I stood up trembling. Then he said to me, Do not be afraid, Daniel, for from the first day that you set your heart to understanding this and on humbling yourself before your God, your words were heard, and I have come in response to your words. And so this, this idea that the angel has come to give him understanding, it's found at the very beginning of the chapter, and we read it. It says a message was revealed to Daniel, whose name was Belshazzar, and that he, had, he understood the message and had an understanding of the vision. And I can think of no other vision, and I could be incorrect here in making this assertion, but I can think of no other vision here than the one that, the, that he had received in Daniel 8, which is connected to the prophecy of Daniel 9. And I think this is what these words are talking about here. And the angel is saying, look, you're highly beloved. Don't be afraid. I've come to give you understanding of what's going to happen in the future. Um, and this is going to further under, this is going to further help you in your 
larger understanding of what you didn't understand previously, the prophecy of Daniel 8. I gave you some more understanding in Daniel 9. And then now I'm giving you, like I'm going to give you a very, very precise and explicit communication about the time frames that I was talking to you about in Daniel chapter 8. That's in essence what is being communicated here to Daniel. It's pretty straightforward. It's pretty simple. If there's any biblical scholars out there and I'm off track here, you give me a ring and I'm happy to to stand corrected here. Verse 15, when he had spoken to me according to these words, I turned my face toward the ground and became speechless. And behold, one who resembled a human being was touching my lips. Then I opened my mouth and spoke and said to him who was standing before me, O my Lord, as a result of the vision, anguish has come upon me and I have retained no strength. This is the vision that he's just seen. For how can such a servant of my Lord talk with such as my Lord? As for me, there remains just now no strength in me, nor has any breath been left in me. Then this one with human appearance touched me again and strengthened me. He said, O man of high esteem, do not be afraid. Peace be with you. Take courage and be courageous. Now as soon as he spoke to me, I received strength and said, May my Lord speak, for you have strengthened me. Then he said, Do you understand why I came to you? But I shall now return to fight against the prince of Persia. So I am going forth, and behold, the prince of Greece is about to come. However, I will tell you what is inscribed in the writing of truth. There's no one who stands firmly with me against these forces except Michael, your prince. This ends the chapter. Now, I want to share something with you that I think is valid, but it just came to me and I haven't had a lot of time to really process this observation. But, And I don't have the perfect language, so I'm going to trust myself to you guys that you'll, you'll kind of tr- hear what I'm, what I'm trying to communicate. Uh, hear that through my imperfect communication. Okay, so in Daniel chapter 2, Daniel interprets King Nebuchadnezzar's dream, which is an apocalyptic prophecy that extends from the days of Daniel all the way to the, the end of time in the setting up of God's kingdom on earth. And Daniel receives, through a night vision, information from God about Nebuchadnezzar's dream. So he receives information from God as to what the dream Nebuchadnezzar is having is and what it means. Okay, it's in a night vision. Now, I don't know if that means he was sleeping and then he went into vision or if it means that he had a vision in sleep like a dream, right? Um, But he's not receiving the dream and its interpretation from a heavenly messenger in person, Okay, it's in a night vision. Now, in Daniel 7, the com- uh, which is a companion prophecy to Daniel chapter 2, the Bible says that Daniel receives that vision of the four beasts and the, the little horn and the abominable behavior of the little horn and the judgment. It says that, that he receives that in a dream at night. And so Daniel 2, Daniel 7, Dave, Daniel receives those prophecies through either a night vision or a dream. Now, in Daniel chapter 8, Daniel receives the vision of the he-goat and the ram and the little horn and the cleansing of the sanctuary in, in, through a vision that he has while he's awake during the day. He's by the banks of the river Ulai, and, and, he, and, he, and he goes into vision. So you go from sleeping at night to having dreams where God is giving you apocalyptic 
prophecies about the future to you're awake and you're seeing a vision while you're conscious and awake, right? To in the midst of Daniel chapter 8, an angel coming to you to give you an interpretation of the vision that you've received while you were awake. Okay, so now you have a personal being who's entering into this experience of the prophet who's going into vision. Okay, so, you know, Daniel 2, Daniel 7, you've got a vision. You've got prophetic, a prophetic perspective given to the prophet, but you don't have a personal being showing up and communing with the prophet and communicating with the prophet and explaining something to the prophet. But you do, but that's what you have in Daniel chapter 8, okay? So there's a little bit of a shift, a little bit of a transition from you're just having a dream at night, you go into a vision during the day. Now, in Daniel 8, it progresses to the point where he's going into a vision and he's speaking to an angel whose job it is to veil the glory of God and to be a light bearer and a messenger for the creator God of the universe in whom we all live and move and have our being and who holds our breath in his hand, okay? Okay, this is a little bit of a, a progression of where he's getting closer to the messengers who are bringing him messages from God. So in a sense, you could say God is getting closer to Daniel as he further reveals truth to him. Now we find ourselves in Daniel 10, and he's not just seeing heavenly beings. He's seeing the prince of heaven. He's seeing the Christ of God. He's seeing the savior of all humanity, who's the word, who was God and was with God and, and who created all things. And now, as you see, heaven's getting even closer to him. So heaven's close to Daniel when he's getting dreams about the future. And heaven's going to get even closer to Daniel as he's just awake during the day and he starts to see visions while he's awake. And then heaven gets even closer to Daniel when he is seeing angels who stand in God's presence and he's communicating with them and they're teaching him person to person. And then now in Daniel 10, he's actually seeing the Son of God. And so you see, as, as God progressively reveals truth to Daniel, and as Daniel grows in his experience with God, God gets closer and closer and closer to Daniel. And as he communicates to Daniel, the method of communication becomes more personal. And now here he's being touched and touched and touched by a heavenly being. And I wonder, how does the heavenly being feel when he's touching uh, Daniel, the one who's highly esteemed in heaven? Daniel is treasure. He is a prized possession of the kingdom of heaven. He is a redeemed man, a sinner who was lost in, in the bondage and slavery of sin. And he's, he's, being, he's being touched by these heavenly beings who are enlisted by, by the kingdom of God to work for our redemption alongside of God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit. And when these heavenly beings are touching Daniel, I bet they feel in their hearts, this man is precious to us. This man, we love him. And it kind of makes me think of my children and how much I love them and how much I commit to their well-being. You know, I don't just want them to be healthy and happy in this life. I want them to be healthy and happy for all eternity because I believe God has destined that for them in Jesus. And and I believe that they're children of, of eternity. And it's my job to to serve them and to guide them and to discipline them so that, you know, to train up train them up in the way that they should go so that when they're older they won't depart from the way of God and that we can live together forever as brothers in the kingdom of heaven. You know, and when I 
when I see them sleeping in their beds and when I see them smiling and uh, enjoy a milestone with them and, and I get to hold them and carry them in my arms and comfort them when they cry and strengthen them when they're weak and give them pep talks when they're discouraged. And I feel that that's a great honor. And then what do I feel in my heart when I get to minister to my children? Oh, it just feels amazing. Like it's just, it's, it's just the best thing that could ever happen to a human being to be in the position of ushering someone into a life of Christ and, and salvation. So I think when these heavenly messengers are touching Daniel, they're having deep and profound affection for this man. And I think that to a great extent, heaven longs to reach out and touch us. But, you know, our sins and, and our selfishness and our sickness of soul, it prevents them from being able to. Because perhaps if they revealed themselves to people who were not living a life of devotion, maybe it would crush those people. Maybe it would, it would traumatize those people and maybe even drive them insane. Maybe, maybe psychologically, maybe, maybe on, on a mental level, heaven cannot touch us. Heaven cannot reveal itself to us because if it did, maybe we would go cuckoo and we would lose our minds because of sin. And maybe if we adopted the lifestyle of Daniel and modeled our lives after his, which really was just a model of Jesus's life, um, maybe if we really denied ourselves, picked up our crosses and followed him, maybe if we turned off the internet, turned off our TVs, studied the word of God more, lived the word of God more, maybe we would see more of God. The Bible says, blessed are the pure in heart, for they will see God. And maybe Daniel is seeing God because of his life of devotion. It had sanctified and purified him and developed him to the point that he was psychologically and emotionally prepared to see visions from God and to be touched by heaven. And what does it feel like for the rest of Daniel's life? How does he feel as a person? How does he see himself as a person when he has felt the affectionate touch of the kingdom of heaven, when Gabriel, the angel that stands in the presence of God, has touched him and looked at him in the face with the kind of love that that a thousand fathers combined together could never feel, you know? Like, how does he, how does he feel at this point? Well, he knows that, that he is of inestimable value and that he's going to sit as a priest and a king for a thousand years with, with Jesus Christ. And he will be, he, you know, he is a brother with, he's a, he's a brother of the Son of God who became flesh and blood for him. Um, yeah, look, I may not be articulating that perfectly, but I think that you can get the essential point, and it's a beautiful and powerful one. Um, as we grow and as God reveals more to us, God now has more ability to get closer to us. And it's not a works issue, like you've done enough for me, now I can come close to you. No, it's that we have have become shaped sufficiently by the prophetic word and we have been not conformed to the world but transformed by the renewing of our minds to the extent that we can now be touched by heaven. And I think if we develop the prayer life, the devotional life of Daniel, we, we might be more in touch with heaven and heaven might be more in touch with us. One last point before I end this, this um, time with you guys. I just wanted to... To just just share an interesting little thing from the book of Daniel that I, I learned many, many years ago when I was teaching a class on the book of Daniel in, uh, in a discipleship program. And I, I decided that before I, I, I read any commentaries, I'd read the book of Daniel in many commentaries, but I thought I'm going to approach the book f- with just a fresh perspective. I'm, I'm going to act like I've never read this book. I know nothing about this book. And I'm going to read the book 10 times through. And so I did that. I, I set a couple... 
hours aside and I just carefully, cautiously, slowly and meditatively read through the book of Daniel. Uh, wrote nothing down, thought, you know, just, just read through the book just to kind of embed Daniel afresh in my mind. And uh, I just want to share with you something that I, I noticed when, when, that, when I did that. Um, I noticed kind of a, anyways, I'll just share, I'll share, I'll share. I noticed several kind of prevailing themes in the book of Daniel. And uh, one of those, one, one thing I noticed I want to share with you. So here it is. Daniel chapter 1, 1. In the third year of the reign of Jehoiakim, king of Judah, Nebuchadnezzar, king of Babylon, came to Jerusalem and besieged it. So you see the kingdom of Jerusalem, the kingdom of God, being delivered into the hands of the king of Babylon, Nebuchadnezzar. Daniel chapter 2 and verse 1. Now in the second year of the reign of Nebuchadnezzar, Nebuchadnezzar had dreams and his spirit was troubled and his sleep left him. Now now Daniel chapter 3. And verse 1, Nebuchadnezzar the king made an image of gold, the height of which was 60 cubits, and its width sits six cubits. He set it up on the plain of Dura in the province of Babylon. Daniel 4 and verse 1, Nebuchadnezzar the king to all peoples, nations, and men of every language that live on the earth. May your peace abound. Are you starting to get the point? Daniel 1, 1, 2, 1, 3, 1, 4, 1 is all about a king. King Jehoiakim. His kingdom is transitioned to Nebuchadnezzar. Then Daniel 2, 3, and 4 all begin with Nebuchadnezzar the king. Now Daniel chapter 5 and verse 1. The Bible says, Belshazzar the king had a great feast for a thousand of his nobles and was drinking wine in the presence of the thousand. Daniel chapter 6 and verse 1. It seemed good to Darius to appoint 120 satraps over the kingdom of Persia that they would be in charge of the whole kingdom. Daniel chapter 7 and verse 1. In the first year of Belshazzar, the king of Babylon, Daniel saw a dream and visions in his mind as he laid on his bed. Then he wrote the dream down and related the following summary. Daniel chapter 8 and verse 1. In the third year of the reign of Belshazzar, the king, a vision appeared to me. Daniel chapter 9 and verse 1. In the first year of Darius, the son of Ahasuerus of Median descent, who was made king over the kingdom of the Chaldeans. Daniel chapter 10 and verse 1. In the third year of Cyrus, king of Persia. Daniel chapter 11 and verse 1. In the first year of Darius the Mede. Daniel chapter 12 and verse 1. Now at that time, Michael, the great prince, who stands guard over the sons of your people, will arise. One of the great themes in the book of Daniel is the transition of the kingdom of men into the kingdom of God, or the kingdoms of this world becoming the kingdoms of our God and of his Christ. Now God wants to get close to us and appeals to us to draw near to him. The Bible says in the book of 1 Peter, draw near to God and he will draw near to you. Jesus is coming soon and the prophecies are all but fulfilled and it's those who are close to God that will rejoice at his second coming. So now's our chance to to, to learn to live the life of the kingdom of heaven and to love God because he's he's coming he's coming soon. Um, it's interesting when you read this, you see the, these various kings who happen to be in control. And then at the end, Michael stands up, the great prince who stands for the deliverance of his people. 
Soon the world is to, to be delivered to Christ and the kingdom is to be given to the saints of the Most High God. May we be those saints. And as the Bible says, we should examine ourselves to see whether we be of the faith. And Jesus himself says that he that endures until the end will be saved. Today is the day of salvation. May we not be living a, a, a tired experience. An experience with God we had two years ago or six years ago or ten years ago. May we not be the people who, yeah, we were delivered from Egypt, but we never made it to the promised land. Today is the day of salvation. And if we hear his voice, let us not harden our hearts. Jesus is coming soon and heaven wants to touch us and draw closer to us. But it only can, because God honors free will, if we choose to draw close to him. Keep this in mind, guys. God bless you. You are conduits of the Holy Ghost. Uh, You have access to the Holy Spirit, and God will give him if you ask, both with your mouth and with your life. And so bless you as you communicate. All the best, and we will see you next week. Bye-bye.